Well, there's no doubt about it. It is getting darker these days. Have you noticed it? The fact is, uh, meteorologists tell us that, uh, that we lose two minutes of sunlight every day from the beginning of the summer solstice to the, uh, to the winter solstice. And so uh, what that means is uh, that we reflect back on those wonderful, long, mid-June days, don't we? And we remember how bounteous and plentiful the sunlight was back then. Uh, we remember those late nights at the beach and those times that we, uh, we get our kids up to bed and tuck them in and they look at us like, you're putting us to bed in the middle of the day? You know, we shut the curtains to make sure that the sun, you know, is hidden behind there. Well, back then in mid-June, we were experiencing more than 15 hours of sheer bliss sunlight a day. So by the time we hit September 25th, we were down to 12 hours a day. And here we are on Sunday, November 30th, and we experience nine hours and 20 minutes, a measly nine hours and 20 minutes of sunlight today. Um, that's six hours of sunlight different from June until right now. So you're all wondering, why am I so depressed? Now you know why you're depressed. But, but wait, it gets worse. It's getting darker. By the time we reach the winter solstice on December 21st, we're going to shave another 15 minutes off of that uh, day. And uh, if you are not depressed yet, here's a visual that I think will help get you there all the way. Here's our year from January to December. And the daylight, you see, is shown by the white in the middle. And the nighttime is shown by the, the shaded blue. There it is what it looks like in the middle of summer. And then here's where we are right now. Literally, we are heading into a tunnel of darkness right now. Is everybody happy? <laughs> but what do we do when it gets dark? What do we do in those dark, darker moments? We find ways to bring in light into the dark. It's part of an innate urge within each one of us. It's a, it's, it's a natural impulse. When it gets dark, we want to turn on the light. We yearn for light. And so throughout the world, people of all nations uh, in the northern hemisphere, anyhow, during this season, um, set ablaze luminous celebrations that just bring uh, uh, color to those gloomy nights. The Celtic countries celebrate festivals of fire, setting bonfires, candles, torches ablaze. The city of Amsterdam beautifully illuminates the canal that runs down through the center of that great city. In India, the festival of D Diwali literally means a row of lights. And everywhere you look, you see these clay lanterns lining sidewalks and street corners. The Scandinavians celebrate Sancta Lucia Day by dressing young girls up in glowing crowns of candles. It does not look safe, actually. <laughs> but here in the United States, what do we do? We put lights everywhere, mostly on our houses. Sometimes quite simply, other times quite tastefully. And still often neither simple nor tasteful <laughs> whatsoever. Now, those are our family's favorites, I just want you to know. So we look for those. Uh, but in the midst of darkness, we yearn for light. We yearn for light. Now all of this longing uh, for light makes sense because 
the Bible tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And it, it turns out, one of the things we discover about God is that, that he too has an impulse to bring light into the darkness. Think about it for just a minute. The very first recorded words of Yahweh in the scripture, what were they? They came right at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. Right after God created the heaven and the earth, the scripture tells us this, that the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we have this picture of creation where darkness covered the surface of the deep. And the Hebrew language here is very descriptive. It paints a very ominous picture, actually, saying that, 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 that the world was, was empty and chaotic. It was like a trackless void. And it says darkness was like a, a dark cloak that was draped over the, over the world and, and cinched tight not to let any light in. And yet, here's the Spirit of God hovering over it all, the surface of the deep in that darkness, almost as if to convey a sense of expectancy in the words. And then what happens? God speaks. And what does he say? Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be light. It was like the cloak was pulled back. It was like the light was let in. The brilliance illuminated all of what God had created. And in the midst of darkness, then it turns out that we, with God, yearn for light. Now today is the first Sunday of Advent. And... uh, In these dark winter weeks, as we anticipate the coming of Christ at Christmas, uh, we enter into a season of uh, reflection and remembering and reliving the story of the Christmas story of Jesus. And throughout scriptures, Christ is, is referred to as the light of the world. And so throughout our Advent series this year, um, we've chosen to allow the rich biblical imagery of light to sort of guide our reflections as we make our way through to Christmas Uh, as we make our way through these darker days of December. And it's all going to come to a crescendo on Christmas Eve at the candle lighting services at each one of our campuses. So my encouragement to you is don't miss a single Sunday here as uh, December starts next Sunday. And uh, bring someone along to be with you as you experience the joy and wonder of of the stories that we'll share. Well, the first image of light that we're going to look at this morning we find in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet in Israel nearly 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he served God during some of the darkest days of that nation's history. This time of darkness, it it wasn't a physical darkness that they were experiencing. It was a spiritual darkness. It was a national darkness. Isaiah 59, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah puts it this way. Speaking about his nation, we look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. And so darkness is really an apt description of of the nation of Israel at this time. The nation of Israel was once strong and powerful in the region, And uh, it had now been broken into two, the north and the south. 
And there were powerful nations and leaders around them who were trying to uh, win them to their side and pit the north and the south against one another. Assyria was making its advance across the northern kingdom. And uh, in the time of Isaiah's uh, prophetic uh, ministry, had taken the north altogether, and it was no more. The southern kingdom was just hanging on by a thread, Judah. This is where Isaiah did most of his uh, ministry. And soon, though, even that nation, that part of uh, the nation of Israel, Judah, would fall and go into exile with Babylon. The king at that time, Ahaz, uh, had turned his face from God. He ruled the kingdom with, with just utter disregard for the plight of the poor. And he was embracing pagan religions around him. He was seeking wisdom with mediums. And he actually took his own uh, child and sacrificed him um, to the pagan gods. And so it was a very bleak season for the people of Israel. This, this was the time that Isaiah spoke into that nation. As if to capture the essence of just how dark it had become, the prophet seems to dip back into the ancient phrases of Genesis for his description. Isaiah 61 to 3 says, See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. So it's just like that cloak of darkness that covered up the surface of the deep. There was this darkness that was over the people of Israel. And during these years, the light of God seemed far, far away from God's people. I wonder if you've ever experienced a season of darkness like this. You've, if you've ever felt like you've been walking in the dark. I've told you that we've been losing sunlight since June 16th. But doesn't it also feel like our world has gotten a little darker since the summer as well? As we've made our way through these months. ISIS... Ebola, athletes involved in domestic violence, Ferguson, I mean, just this week, right? Tuesday night, many of us were, were glued to the screens. What happened in the streets of Ferguson is just a reminder of the darkness that's around us, that, that's around us this Advent season. Uh, who couldn't spot the irony in in the season's greetings banner across the street as the smoke from the tear, tear gas rose as the police and protesters clashed. The entire situation, in my mind, speaks to the reality of our, our present darkness. The darkness of racism and inequality. The darkness of hate and anger that spills out in violence. The darkness of deep divisions and long-standing conflicts that have gone on for generations after generations. The hopeless frustration is felt by everyone involved, and you hear it in all of their voices. The African-American community, the police officers, the neighbors, the store owners, the pastors, the politicians, the family members, all of us. Each one of us at our most human moments when we step away from, from all the arguing and posturing that we see on the television screens and that we see in our Facebook feeds, when we get away from all of that and find ourselves in our most human of moments, don't we all just find ourselves heartbroken over the entire situation? Hard to say more about it, that we are heartbroken 
grief-stricken over what went down in the streets that day, deeply saddened about what it tells us about our nation, our communities, and even about ourselves. We feel the dark shadows sort of looming in on us during this Advent season. Now, along these lines, I, I want to let you know that I read a couple of good blog posts by a couple of folks this week, uh, two pastors here at Grace Chapel on our uh, Grace Chapel staff blog. Um, one was Jeanette Yep, and the other was Dana Baker. I just point you to that staff blog and those posts. You can find them at deeperclosterwider.org. Um, if you haven't checked out that blog, it's a great place. Some really insightful thoughts. And we'll be talking more about these things after the first of the year um, in a couple of weeks. But suffice it to say that our world feels pretty dark at times. And maybe, maybe the darkness that you're feeling during these days is even more personal to you than that. Maybe you're experiencing the deep sadness of a family member who isn't going to be experiencing Christmas dinner with you. Not going to be there. Maybe the life of somebody that you know or somebody that you love is, is sort of coming apart at the seams. Maybe your life this season is, is coming apart at the seams. Could be that you're experiencing uh, financial challenges, getting deeper into debt. Maybe you're battling some chronic health issues. Maybe you've made some bad decisions in this last year and it's led to some conflict between you and people that you care about. Or maybe it's distanced you from, you and from, from your relationship with God. You discover maybe that there's a darkness lurking inside of you even that you've named and acknowledged. You see, in all of these moments of darkness that we experience, we long for light, don't we? Don't Isaiah's words match our longing hearts? He says, we look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. What powerful imagery. It, it reminds us how incapacitating darkness can be, doesn't it? We've all experienced it. You've had a time in your, uh, in your life when uh, the power's gone out at home. Maybe your family is all gathered together and doing things throughout the house. Somebody's washing the dishes. Uh, somebody's in the other room getting homework done. Somebody's reading the paper. Another on the phone. Lots of uh, activity around as the lights are on. But suddenly, the crash of lightning and the, and the lights go out. You're plunged deep into darkness. And literally, everything stops at that moment. Darkness incapacitates you as you collect yourself. And then suddenly someone starts to make their way through the dark, trying to recreate in their mind's eye the picture of the room as it was before the lights went out. Where were the toys? Where's the chair? They grope, literally grope along the walls looking for a light. And then they make their way to the cabinet. They open it up. They take out the matches and a candle. And finally... A match is struck, and the wick is lit, and the other candles are found, and one candle lights another candle, lights another candle, until the glow of, of candlelight lights up the night, and the place picks up again. People start entering back into life as it gets moving. Light overcomes darkness. Darkness. 
The prophet Isaiah tells us that this is what it's like when Christ arrives on the scene. This is what would happen as if a a, a match is struck. Isaiah 9-2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah 60 says, But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. What What a beautiful picture of light coming in where there once was darkness, becoming so bright that even nations come to the light. And obviously Isaiah's prophecy was a poetic foreshadowing of of the Messiah, one who would be a king for his people, but also one who would be a savior for all of us. When the gospel writer speaks about Jesus, John says that in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That distant light of hope that Isaiah saw glimmering over those four centuries was Jesus, the one who came to dispel all darkness. Now what I find interesting is that Isaiah and the gospel writer speaks with such confidence about the power of this light and its ability to overcome the gloomy darkness that was around them. Like, like where does Isaiah get such confidence in that light? Well, let's think about the metaphor for a moment. There's something important for us to understand about darkness. You see, although darkness does have the ability to incapacitate us, the fact is, darkness itself is not a force. It it creates no energy. No gauge can measure its output. It can't be weighed. It can't be measured. It can't be analyzed. Darkness isn't the presence of something. It's actually the absence of something. Darkness is not defined by what it is, but by what it lacks. It's the absence of light. You see, this is why light holds such power over darkness. There is no darkness when there's light. When light comes in, it eradicates the darkness 100% of the time. Now think about it. When you walk into a dark room and you flip on the switch, is it like there's a battle going on between light or darkness? Like all of a sudden it gets bright and then darkness starts to force its way in and it starts to dim a little bit and then light rallies again and it brights up the room. It doesn't happen like that. When you turn on the light, the light casts out darkness every single time. Now, sometimes it must have been hard to believe for the people of Israel who probably felt like the darkness around them was a a pretty forceful entity. The wealthy were mistreating the poor. The ruling class were uh, selling the nation's sovereignty. The surrounding nations were pressing in with their armies. The king was plundering the temple to finance the war, and so on. These were powerful influences at play. But Isaiah spoke with such great confidence that these things, he reminded his people, these things will all go away with one source of light. When one source of light arrives, a true source of light, the solution comes not by combating the dark, the solution comes by letting in light. Right? 
Darkness flees when, when we let in the light. This is what we're inviting you to do during this Advent season. We'd love for you to let in the light. The light of the world entered the world. That Messiah that Isaiah was prophesying about has come. He is here. He's present among us. What is needed now is for us simply to let him into our darkness. And so at those moments in your life when, when darkness feels like a real threat, and we all know what that feels like, and when it triggers those deep longings for something different, something greater, instead of letting that darkness drive you to fear or despair or defeat, allow that darkness to activate your impulse deep within to let the light in. To let Christ bring his presence into your darkness. Because when you invite Christ in, he chases away the shadows. He, he shines his light on things that need to be seen for what they are. I experienced a powerful reminder of the, the power of the light of Christ just a few weeks ago. It came to me by way of a story of an aunt and her nephew. Um, she loved her nephew like a brother. We'll call them Rose and Michael. Rose is the aunt and Michael's the nephew. Now, Michael and Rose were, were close in age when the two of them were young children. Um, and they grew up together in a very troubled family. There was lots of loss, lots of heartbreak, lots of addiction. And uh, when Michael and Rose were, were growing up, Michael's family actually sent um, Michael to live with Rose, who had somewhat of a stable upbringing because she had a mom and she had a grandmother in the house. And uh, they did that so that Michael could get out of the lure of some of the negative things that were uh, pulling him, that potentially could pull him away, to give him a, a, a safe and uh, wonderful upbringing. So he came into the house, and uh, the mother was a great nurturing mom. She uh, cared for him, showed him love, showed him the love of God, brought them to church. They were, he was part of the choir when he was a kid. And then as time went on, uh, Michael got drawn back to the things that his family had been a part of. He got back into the streets and um, got into the wrong crowd, made bad decisions, eventually turned, turned from God completely and his church and his family. And Rose, his aunt, was brokenhearted. Uh, she, she, the last time she saw her nephew was 10 years ago today, 10 years ago. He was in the hospital with a gunshot wound. And she went there and she stood by his bedside and prayed for him. And then she didn't see him after that. A little while later, time went on, and uh, he, he ended up in prison, made some bad decisions. And about five years ago, Rose sent a letter to her nephew in prison. And with the letter, she attached a little picture of him as a child, singing in the choir of the church they grew up in, wanting to remind him of who he is, wanting to remind him of whose he is, and that God loved him. He got the letter in prison, wrote back to her and said, Auntie, that's not me anymore. I want to I dispel your hopes altogether because that's not my life any longer. That was the last time Rose heard from her nephew in five years. Now fast forward to three weeks ago. Some of you remember that uh, during Urban Awareness Week, uh, during Global Awareness Week, we made our way to some field trips 
at some organizations, ministries around greater Boston. And one of them was the Place of Promise. And so I headed up there with about 10, 12 folks to uh, have them teach us what they do, to walk us through an exercise and all of that. And it was there that I first met Rose. She came up and met us there. She was here in the Wilmington campus. We met and, or in Lexington. You guys don't know where you are, where we are. We're in Lexington. Um, met us here, met us there. She drove from Lexington. And I met her for the first time. She said, my, name, my name is Rose. And she told me, I, I'm not exactly sure what drew me here. I don't know anything about Place of Promise. Never heard about it, never visited. But I felt God calling me to come. So uh, they started, uh, the folks at Place of Promise started leading us through a little exercise and giving us some information about the program. The residents were taking part as well and uh, guided us through a little experience. About 30 minutes in, I walk back out of the house and I see Rose standing outside of the Place of Promise house. And she was standing there next to a man. And the two of them were looking incredulously at each other with tears streaming down their faces. I said, what's going on? She said, this is my cousin, Michael, who I haven't seen in 10 years. I wasn't even sure he was alive. And here they are, meeting at a, at a random house in Lowell on a street that neither of them had ever been. He became a resident at Place of Promise three and a half weeks before we showed up. Brand new. As after they shared hugs and stories and we all just sat around, you know, gaping at them for a while, uh, they, uh, Beth invited us in and they, the two of them stood and told their story. He told the story because she couldn't. She was in tears. And uh, he said, I, I met a guy while I was in prison who had been in place of promise. He became a follower of Christ. He got into some trouble, was back in prison, but he told me about Christ, about the place of promise, about the hope that I could find if I came here. He said, I've embraced Christ again, placed him at the center of my life, and I'm here to start over again. Light shining brightly in the darkness. A very miraculous, miraculous way. On those living in the land of shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now you see, here's, here's the thing. The same God that met Michael in that prison cell, the same Christ who entered into his darkness is the Christ who can make his way into your darkness, whatever you're experiencing. It's not too late. The ship hasn't sailed. There's always an opportunity to open your heart and your life to the light of Christ. Let him in. Let him chase away the darkness. Let him lead you gloriously by the light of his life. All we need to do is the thing that Michael did. Let light in. It's a simple takeaway of, of this morning, of this sermon, on this first Sunday in Advent. This week, I'd encourage you to make this decision. Open your lives to the light of Jesus. Now, throughout the series, we're going to offer you a lot of little takeaways, a lot of encouragements, ways that we believe will help make your Christmas season more significant, more meaningful, um, more satisfying. 
There are going to be opportunities for you to serve other people during this Christmas season. There are going to be invitational cards that you'll be able to give out to friends and invite them to things. Uh, there are going to be suggestions about how to keep the consumerism of Christmas from consumer, consuming you. All of those things. But today, today we're starting very simple and fundamentally with one, one encouragement, one takeaway. To open your light, life to the light of Jesus. You know, it could be that that there is some darkness in your life right now. Let that darkness activate your impulse to let in the light. Remember that as much as we have an impulse to let light in, God's impulse is greater. He has come into the world that we might have life and light and have it in abundance. And so when we turn to a God to receive him in, he's already there making the offer. And so as we stand here at the beginning of a hectic and frenzied season, there are going to be many things on your to-do lists. And I know that I've got plenty on mine already. I'm behind. But what more important thing to do than to pause for a few moments at the beginning of this season to invite Christ to let his light in. In a few moments, we're going to give you a chance to do that right where you are in any of the campuses as, as I end my prayer the lights in each of the sanctuaries will come down and uh, we'll be led by a reflective song. And then on your way out, I'd encourage you to pick up that devotional that you heard about earlier in the service, a devotional card that we've created just for you for this week that you can take, find a place at home, take a few moments, push some time aside, give yourself space, bring family members in if you'd like or do it alone. Let that be a simple devotional guide that guides your thoughts and maybe some conversation with people in your life and maybe a time of prayer between you and the Lord. And so whatever darkness you might be feeling these days, remember that darkness flees when the light comes in. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your goodness. God, that you are one who always meets us before we even turn to look for you. We thank you that you have sent your son, Christ, Jesus, into this world to dispel the darkness, sorrow, sadness, heartache that we experience. And God, we live best when we live with your light guiding our way. God, for those who have never opened their life up to Jesus, I ask that this season would be a chance for them to consider it anew. God, for some who are here today who have tasted of you and walked away for a season, Lord, let this be a chance for them to be reminded again that your offer is always available to us, that your love extends beyond our wrong-headed choices, and that your love reaches us in tender ways. God, we'd ask that you would help, help us to turn to you once again. Lord, for those who are here who are experiencing the light, God, may you use them to be the light in someone else's life this season. Powerful ways that you are at work. In Christ's name, amen.